Welcome to Creative Achievers, a podcast in which I, Wouter Bohn, explore the secrets of creative success. In this monthly podcast, I interview creative minds who are able to turn innovative ideas into products, which makes this a podcast at the interface of creativity and entrepreneurship. Because we all have good ideas, but turning them into a success, that is the distinctive power of the creative achiever. Before I introduce Joop Beving to you, just a quick note on the fact that I'm speaking English, uh, because normally I do this interview in Dutch, but I chose English for this episode because Joop has a big international following and it would be a shame to not make this interview accessible to everyone. He is a world famous musician, uh, Joop Beving, and he was born and raised in the Netherlands, Doetinchem, studied at the Music Academy in Enschede and around the same time political sciences at the University of Twente. Ironically, he only finished the latter. He found a job as a strategist at Massive Music, an agency specialized in advertising music. It seemed the perfect place as it allowed him to unite his musical and business skills. In 2014, however, he experienced burnout and talked with a coach about it, who basically told him to follow his dreams. Since he had been playing the piano all his life, he then finally decided to write his own music. Solipsism, performed solo on an old piano, became his debut album in 2015. It exploded on Spotify with millions of streams. In a relative short time, he also created Prehension and Henosis in 2017 and 2019, respectively. With these albums, he completed a trilogy. He also signed a contract with the prestigious label Deutsche Grammophon and is performing around the globe. Joop and I know each other uh, mainly from the world of advertising. I think we met at one of the many advertising parties. And Joop wrote columns for my advertising blog at the time. And now he's here. Welcome, Joop. Thank you, Wouter. <laughs> We're sitting here in Joop's uh, studio. Um, and the squeaking you hear is my chair. I ho- I'll try not to do that all the time. Um, thanks for having me here, Joop. And uh, great that you're in the Netherlands. Uh, I think that's partly due to Corona. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, d- I, d- I didn't have that many shows planned for this this time around so luckily uh i had reserved some some time off to be working on a film score and uh i had a couple of shows in europe cancelled um but no big travel plans okay and and how how are you experiencing the whole corona situation (laughs) well yeah um I've had um, a really great time, actually. <laughs> so uh, I, obviously, you, one has to say that um, you know it's a very serious matter and a very unfortunate situation for many people. I was lucky um, to be having something to do and to be able to spend time with my family and. Um, educate the kids in the morning and, and, um, and, and be at home, which is, uh, <laughs> on top of that, we had amazing weather. It's been a really nice pause. And I, I, I mostly will remember it for the slow pace in which everything happened, which yeah. was, um, which was great. 
I do recognize that, yeah. Um, but let's first go back, uh, as I always do, to when you were young, when you mm-hmm. were first creatively expressing yourself. Um, I read that you were already playing the piano when you were like three or four, because you, there was one at the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was there any point in your when you were young that you realized, wow, this is really something that clicks, or or maybe even this is really something that I'm, I have a talent for. Well, yeah, it it, it I, I it definitely had a draw, and um, I I couldn't wait to begin music classes, and uh, and in the music classes I was this really annoying kid that would love to demonstrate to everybody else that my sense of rhythm was excellent and that um, I was ahead of the class and uh, well very annoying but I I felt like this is this is something for me and um, and I and I I remember wanting to demonstrate that to uh, to the people around me and this is age I think six or something well was there any points because now in a relatively short time, you became mm-hmm. quite well known. Was there any mm-hmm. points when you were young that you that you th- thought like <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you want to become a musician? Um, yes, I think so. I think so. I, I remember when I was really young, um, doing all sorts of little jobs for my parents and my grandparents to get some money to buy a musical instrument. I wanted to buy a, a keyboard, and when, once I got it. I played with it a lot and I wrote songs and I performed these songs when, when I got to school and, um, and I've been performing music, I guess, until I was like 30. Um, like in, in bands? Yeah, in different, in different bands. And, uh, but I, I never really saw myself as a professional musician. I realized that my talent was limited um, or my skills were limited and um, kind of where I'm from you don't see yourself like a potential music star or that's just like is, not... it, is, is that where you grow up yeah yes yeah. yeah yeah it's like it's the east part of the Netherlands and um, you know it's it's kind of like far away from from the world in a, in a way. And, and your parents, did they stimulate <laughs> you at all? Do, uh, do you remember? How, yeah, how? They, they stimulated in terms of creating the, the, the chances and offering um, offering different options and, and stimulating me to, to take music classes and, and to rehearse. And um, they offered their living room when I had my first band to rehearse for three days and we blocked the whole living room and um, yeah, they've been very stimulating. Because I guess that's also, uh, if you spoke, speak about the environment, that's also important that you... Definitely, yeah. yeah but you it, get the freedom to yeah. to, ex- to explore, I guess. Yeah. I, I, it's just like there's a big difference between um, growing up in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment where, um, you know, where you feel that you're empowered to become whatever you want versus a situation where that empowerment is there, but there is a big reserve 
in the sense that yeah, you can become whatever you want, but let's be serious and realistic. You have to study and you have to get a normal job in order to be secure. There's a, there's just this gap. And I think it's easily, easily explained by not having the right role models, um, mm-hmm. not, not around you, but even not for my parents and, and their friends. They didn't have people working in creative industry or people that made a living out of being an actor or being mm-hmm. uh, being in music and the ones that did they didn't make a lot of money so that wasn't that good an example so, yeah. that's a, that's an interesting point making money is is that um we'll talk about the music academy but i'm mm-hmm. just wondering was that also for you a motivation to to study political science well risk avoidance yeah i i can i can blame it on my my ancestors and say that my grandfather was very pleased that i was um admitted to the the university and Mm -hmm. studying a serious education which would in their uh world leads to a very um serious chance of getting a good good job and mm-hmm. um, so that was a culture that, that i grew up in in which that was you know the case it wasn't forced upon me but it was definitely sensible that, mm-hmm. that that's what they thought and that's what they wanted me to do and the so sensible choice it's a sensible choice and and i myself had the same thing also because i i didn't force i, I didn't have an imagination of what the other trajectory would have been and again not having the role models mm-hmm. um i think was the reason a big for a big part the reason why and so so how did it work because you i think you started music academy or conservatory yeah, it's um, a difficult word it's a well, shitty word yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you started that in the same year as political sciences yeah. right no it's I, it's a good question because i i mean i i remember um when it was time to start to um investigate different options for after uh, high school i always have had this battle between the the, the rational side of the brain and the more um, intuitive mm-hmm. part of it and um so I chose public policy and public administration, which is the official title of the uh, the studies I did. Um, but my music teacher um, in high school said, y- you are going to have to try and get on to the conservatory as well. So I, I did a, a test to uh, um, an, uh, what is it? Admission mm-hmm. um, test. And they uh, they allowed me in. I did it with one hand because the week before I had broken into a public swimming pool and the police came and <laughs> they asked me to jump over a fence and my hand got stuck and ah. it was stitched up completely. <laughs> so I had to do the test with one hand and even... So you beat them one hand down. <laughs> yeah, um, which, um, I don't know. It doesn't necessarily say something about my skills. Was there something maybe around the way they liked you or something? Uh, well, I, I, I because w- with one hand, it's no. I, 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 I'm not giving the full story because I also um, with me I brought recordings of pieces that I've I uh, I've ah, written okay. and recorded with uh, with my band uh, back then. Um, so there is more than that, but there's more to it. Yeah. 
Definitely. Okay, so I, I just took away the magic, sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. Okay, so you got in, you did both tracks. Uh, one was Risk Avoidance, the other where your heart was. Yeah. Uh, and so why did you quit the one where your heart was? Because I was encountering serious um, problems with keeping up um, with the other students. I was missing classes left, right and center. I was forced to be working on my um, skills, my, my technique of playing instead of learning how to improvise better or uh. jazz voicings or stuff like that, which I really wanted to learn. So, was it too formal maybe well i mean they they were completely right my 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 technical skills were really bad and they still are <laughs> um but um uh so that they were completely right f to to put me on that um um track uh but i started with a, a german student and we were the two um uh, piano players in the in the jazz direction and this guy had a classical background so he was like really great at playing classical pieces and and his progress within three months was so amazing that kind of frustrated me and mm -hmm. and uh, i ended up having a repetitive strain injury because of the the frustration with which i was the trying yeah exactly so uh so i i couldn't really play anymore And I did three exams. I think the first one I passed, the second one I passed, and the third one I, I flunked. And uh, I, on, on the other hand, on the other side, I, I did pretty good at mm -hmm. the university. So I, I thought, well, you know, I can still get the university degree and make music. So yeah. that, that's not a loss. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I chose rationally. Yeah, yeah. and I, I guess you've proved that you, you don't really need. A diploma to make music. Well, the great, uh, the great thing is, I think the great thing is, and this is not new to most people, but if you take away the um, all the, the force coming from um, the external force, uh, being uh, a teacher that you train with and that you want to impress the rest of your life or a standard uh, that you um, graduated with that you need to keep uh, up all the time. And so there's all these uh, things that that they feed you in, in an academy. Um, and then at the, the last bit of it, usually you're asked to develop your own voice and, mm -hmm. and maybe just forget consciously about what you've learned and yeah. use all the skills to you know to flourish yeah. and um and many people they're able to do so um but i think a lot of them are also the people that would have done that without the training as well yeah uh, and for me it, it i remember really well um quitting that school thinking okay this is so great because now I can be free and yeah. I can just, I can just make music and enjoy making music and, and try to do something that, you know, affects me. And that's what I've since then been, been looking for basically. Yeah. There's this saying that uh, it's, I can't remember who it is by, but it's you, you have to learn the rules in, in order to break them. Yeah. And I guess that's how an academy goes. You first learn the rules and yeah. then, uh, 
at the end they allow you to break them yeah. but for many free spirits it's too late you know you want to i guess you want to sort of experiment yeah and it, from it, the it really has also to do with character and I, I i'm quite a loyal guy i think so i would have been very much wanting to impress my my teachers and uh and I think a lot of people have that. And um, so to go through a system like that, thinking, uh, whatever, I'm going to do my own thing, mm -hmm. you know, that's really difficult. So you felt yeah. liberated. I felt liberated. And in a way, I mean, if, if we were not necessarily jumping forward already, but if you look at the music that I released in, in the end uh, a couple of years ago, having finished... Uh, uh, the conservatory. I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have had the guts to to release that type of music because it's uh -huh. it's it's too simple. And, um, let's let's call it accessible. <laughs> accessible. Okay. Thank well, you. no. Yeah, I guess you call it simple, but um, yeah, it, it is. In my opinion, uh, my humble opinion, I should say, uh, I I think it's the kind of music you instantly like. I guess that can be dangerous with music. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, I guess, also a feat. Thanks for clarifying that to the listeners. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you, you, at some point you, you started working for Massive Music. I think for, for a bit you were also a copywriter. Mm -hmm. So you were exploring a little bit what would be the best direction at that point. Yeah, I, I just, uh, when I was studying in Enschede, I, I kind of... I sense that I should should be looking for more of a creative um, outlet or a creative environment, mm -hmm. and I didn't have any idea what what that would you know, what it would look like. So I I moved to Amsterdam. I had to do an internship for for my uni studies, and I started looking in Amsterdam right away. and And then the exploring started. So on, on one end, I was doing my internship. Um, working at the community center and uh, next door was the theater school. So in my breaks, I would not sit with all the clergy men, mm -hmm. um, but I would go out and I would walk into the theater academy and go to the balcony and just sit there having my lunch, <laughs> wanting to meet other people. And um, so that's... it's And, been, and uh, looking at the stage and thinking... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been there all the time. The uh, There was an art school on a uh, university campus as well, uh, which was an external school, and same same thing. I would, I, with every break I had, I would go there and, and f try to feel part of that community. Um, but I didn't know how to be an artist. So, so the, you did realize... This is the world I sort of feel at home in. Yeah. Yeah. So I came to Amsterdam and um, uh, I, yeah, I made friends and many came from art schools. And um, so all, quite some were working in advertising agencies. And so I started to learn a bit about that world and, and, and there were people that were very graphically, visually very good at making art and making um, uh, commissioned art for advertising. And there were people that could write. And I was like, I can write a little bit. So mm -hmm. maybe that's my entry. And I started trying my uh, my two cents on, uh, on copywriting. And with my band, um, we realized we had to start 
Which making, which band were you in then? Um, I had two bands. Basically, the the rhythm section of the Skelematic Orchestra was also the core of um, my band, which was Moody Allen. <laughs> um, and um, it was a really fun time, but um, it was tough uh, to to get out and, and make it. And keeping the group together in, uh, in the end was turned out to be the most difficult difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Um, But we we also realized that you know if we wanted to continue making music that we needed to find a more commercial outlet, uh, and so we started investigating and and yeah all of us came back with massive music uh, among other companies uh, that produce music bespoke music. They were the like let's say the the top. Music agency in Amsterdam at the, at the time. Yeah, at the time they they had they had pretty much just started, and it was a breakaway from another company that was pretty much the first company. I think they're called Soundscape, and um, and I saw an item on TV where uh, Hans, the founder, uh, Hans Brouwer, yeah. Hans Brouwer, um, took the viewer through uh, a project, and I was like, wow, this is cool. Um, So and I told my girlfriend, and then another friend of mine uh, started working there, and my girlfriend was like, "God, you gotta go talk to them," mm-hmm. and uh, and she kind of pushed me to uh, face my my fears or my doubts or my insecurities, and um, I basically went there, and the same day they offered me a job, and they. Uh, They ended up hiring me as a um, as a sales manager to start off with, um, which was something I I wasn't comfortable with at all in the beginning. No, I can imagine. <laughs> And uh, so I I basically kind of declined. And then after a couple of weeks of talking, and also my friend saying like, you know, you you like talking to people. Why why don't you give it a shot and. Um, And I was kind of living off the the salary my girlfriend had, so I was like man up and do it with the hope of um, being more involved with music. And, and at least I guess you were selling a fun product. It was not like it was a super fun company. It was really really nice people. It was a, a fun uh, product. Um, it was a fun job too. So I mean for. Uh, For short term, it was definitely a no-brainer, and um, but I ended up staying for uh, quite some years. And um, were you good? Were you good at sales? I think I was. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I, I now I now I can say the word sales, but I, back then it would I would <laughs> I would turn purple and vomit like. Um, Because I I hated it, and uh, there was always this you know stress factor of having to divide the thing I needed to do with the thing I wanted to do, and and that ended up eventually in 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 kind of a burnout. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but the, the funny thing is before we uh, speak about that. Um, I remember because I, in the introduction I said that we met at one of the many ad- advertising parties and mm-hmm. 
we also went to Cannes, uh, the Cannes Lions fe- uh, Festival, uh, yeah. and I, I guess you went to many others because uh, yeah. you know I was only a freelancer, so uh, I couldn't afford to go everywhere. But um, I mean, that's appearance, I guess. But it seemed like you really enjoyed your job because you were always networking and and you had a really big group of professional friends. It seems. Well, I, I really enjoyed talking to people, <laughs> and um, and I really enjoyed um, being extrovert, which, which I think I'm an introvert, but I have I had to be an extrovert. I don't know actually what I am. Well, maybe it's not either or. And maybe it's like two sides of uh, of the coin. And um, I guess extroversion means that you get energy from people around you, and, and that you definitely, I guess, had. So, yeah, but it was exhausting as well. And um, so, um, you was know, that, was that part of the burnout also, or was that? Well, I think it it burns a lot of energy if you you have to motivate yourself to, mm-hmm. especially at one at the point where you you, you start um, questioning the purpose and um so uh you, at first you know I, i i had my doubts uh in terms of the role of advertising um but at the same time uh, there was a lot to learn for me i was very young it was a very fun job i was close to music and some really cool stuff was made then um And still, I, I'm pretty sure that was close to, you know, creating culture mm-hmm. um, whilst um, um, getting paid. Yeah. And remember, I wasn't an artist. So I didn't know how to make a living not working. And what uh, you were missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, at, at, you know, the, the, the sense of... Um, investing a lot of energy into something where it was very questionable how that energy would come back. And and at the time, I guess you, you didn't think, I'm just going to quit this and then see what happens. I you, didn't, you're kind uh, yeah, of well, that, stuck, that, stuck that, in, a, yeah. in a rut. And it, I mean, I, I, <laughs> coming back to the risk-avoiding character that I had when I was 18 and the fact that I had a family. Uh, so, so, it, so you needed the burnout to sort of... I, I needed to I needed to hit rock bottom basically. Mm-hmm. I needed to get to a place where I I I couldn't lose anything. And um and once I got to that place, um you know, things started to change quickly. Yeah, because you talked to a coach and he said No, it's it's basically what I just said. It's like okay, you And it's a very it's it, it's basically what happens to most people experiencing burnout. It's it's like you 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 have an uh, 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 an almost exponential increase in outgoing energy um, mm-hmm. because of uh, growing responsibilities within the job, uh, bigger network, more friends, uh, starting a family, getting a mortgage, um, raising kids. And at the same time, you know, because of, because of not relaxing and because of getting older and maybe not enough exercise, your energy level is going down. So we're, at some point, these two 
collide. And that's usually the point where the system goes. Yeah. And that that's and he he basically said you have to start doing things that return the energy. So whatever you invest needs to come back in some way. Um, and that. And that was music. <laughs> yeah, that was music. Or that was let's say no, that, that was going solo. That was absolutely no. Just 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 making music, and definitely not going solo. And I wasn't intending to go solo at all. I was just. There, there was this narrative or this this thing that needed to come out, and um, I think in a way it was the artist that needed to come out and manifest itself. And I was very much willing to have that be a, a moment, like okay, I do this record, and and uh, and I've expressed myself, and this is for the kids. I have a re- I have a, a nice vinyl, and and. When I'm like 60 or 70, my kids can say like this, a record my dad made, and, mm-hmm. and that's it. But yeah, once once I got um, momentum with that first yeah. record, I realized at one point that I I was being given a chance to to make the leap of faith basically mm-hmm. yeah so, so i can i can imagine that once you noticed that it sort of it um traction it was it had traction <laughs> yeah i hate it, that word it was two dutchies here yeah. trying to speak english um that it got traction and uh, and that it um that it was catchy etc yeah. um then it's easy to sort of go for it but how did you organize how did you organize it at Massive Music? Did you tell them like I'm I'm going to work for fifty percent? Because in the in the in the beginning you mm-hmm. you kept your job while compo- composing. Yeah. Well, I, I the first record I, I just made in in the evenings. That's solace, solace. solacism, yeah. yeah. And I didn't really. I didn't that was really good enough for you, sort of to find back your energy no 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 i was like this was i it it felt like um it felt like therapy and it felt like um what is it catharsis or something i don't know if Mm -hmm. that's the right word but yeah and um uh so i i i I felt a drive of doing it and and it was kind of easy to sit every night and wait for the kids to go to bed and my wife and the neighbors upstairs before I could start recording and, and writing new stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since I started that, and um, uh, every day felt like, you know, a new beginning. And uh, uh, so it was kind of easy. It gave me new energy, like you said, and it was kind of easy to do that next to the job. Yeah. And and, and the music, you, you, I read in an interview, you said the music came very easily. Yeah. Um, and it it reminds me of a quote of Picasso who said, "I never search, I find." Was yeah. it was it like like that for you? Just yeah, definitely. It's completely. It it, it it it. I mean, I've said this in so many interviews already, but it, it, it's really like I credit myself for not giving up and for creating the circumstances for the music to present itself mm-hmm. to land, basically, because. Many of the pieces I, you know, I have no idea where they came from, and I've, the, I, I, I can't even really remember writing them. It's like, you know, some were just like instantly, bam, here you go, present. <laughs> wow! And it, and it was also in a, 
in a like a vocabulary I wasn't really familiar with. So so it's almost like an out of mind sort of experience. Yeah, it's it's it kind of is is you know you, the, I think the word is channeling, and I don't want to completely put it in in on on channeling, but it, I do believe that um, it is already out there, and 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 you know you, you're the antenna in a way. Mm -hmm. I do remember a moment where I realized that while writing, like okay, this this is something that is a little bit beyond me and I I'm not I'm not the one that needs to be judging this and I don't care if people judge this but mm -hmm. this just feels like it has to be there and I'm getting out of the way and uh, oh, wow. uh, and so that's that's freedom yeah then you, you lose any sense of like what will they say or you yeah. you stop you stop criticizing the work and you stop just start to facilitate and to embrace what comes. And, um, and that's an amazing experience, amazing feeling. And, um, and if, if your, your rational brain is not too much in the way, quite some interesting things can come through. Mm -hmm. And the rational brain is the one that creates boundaries and fear and insecurity and, and criticizes everything and questions everything and what if and what will they say and once that dimension um, is gone and and that often happens in a in a point where you have nothing to lose mm -hmm. then you know it, it the what comes through is probably much more genuine or And then, and then the album was finished. And yeah. I remember because I was at the um, at the presentation of the album, or how do you call that? The gig you did at the um, Hans Ubing, Hans Ubing studio, or, or his his phenomenal space. His phenomenal space, <laughs> yeah. close to the uh, in the Tsar Peter booth. It was, uh, it was next to the office of, of Massive at the time. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And um, it was a beautiful space and. I I just walked in one lunch break and went like I want to really want to do the I want to perform here. Want to do the presentation of the album here and and um, that was for colleagues and family and friends and uh, at that point you were just making a few albums to sort of sell to yeah, some I, people I, exactly I'd done fifteen hundred and uh, I was I was in the in the privileged situation to have uh, saved up some money to. Uh, To, to, to make them to make them and um, yeah I was intending to sell some but most of the, most of it was like um, you know this is uh, this is something I want to share with you yeah, all yeah. And, uh, yeah. and and what what did you think when it was finished did you see the potential no no I didn't I mean there were there were there were some people close to me uh, that had pointed out the potential so there there was um there was definitely in all honesty uh some hope that it would it would travel mm -hmm. um but that the idea that that was actually possible came months later 
when um, I guess I guess people around you often say that when they like you, they say, "Wow, this." Is yeah, really no, good. but it's like it's <laughs> this, the story with Rai Resvani who who did all my artwork, uh, and and I approached him. Um, uh, what's his full name? Sorry, Rahi. Oh, Rahi. Rahi Resvani. Okay, I don't know. he's a fantastic artist, photographer, filmmaker, and um, yeah, we you asked we, him to to do the profile of you with the. the no, that that was his concept. That yeah. was his concept. He he had we he was appointed to me uh, when we did Bright the Future in 2010 for the Nike commercial, ah, okay. and we won uh, an award with that. And in 2011, that commercial won yeah. many awards. Yeah, that was really big. By Wyden and Kennedy was the the, the, yeah. the, the film. Yeah, it's the, the, that one. The, it's definitely the biggest one that that I have ever been involved in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. Um, the Dutch Art Directors Club um, publishes a book every year um, with relevant work and for this uh, edition in 2011 they commissioned or they basically asked um, people photographers and directors from within um, the business to portrait uh, the prize winners Mm -hmm. so Rai was uh, appointed to me Um, and uh yeah I had, that was a just a really cool experience because he he comes driving up to the office i i completely forgot i had an appointment and he had his assistant and he made a very big deal out of the fact that rye was taking a picture out of me i was like oh, okay I'll, <laughs> I'll i'll postpone some things and i'll go with you and then he started working and i was like oh my god this is different um and weeks weeks later um, so he, he made the shot, um, but weeks later he sent me another picture that he'd done like quickly while we were prepping. And that picture kind of, kind of captured what my music felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it about it? There's a, or is that hard to say? It's, it's hard to say. It's about, uh, uh yeah, it's okay, also hard to say because it. I am in the picture and I don't like to talk about that <laughs> okay, um so enough. but um so I, I when i was when i was close to releasing or or making the vinyl i was like i'm i'm, I'm thinking about artwork and um and i needed like a, maybe a picture to include in the bio or something mm-hmm. so i approached him like can i use that picture and i didn't hear anything and i didn't hear anything and um, this is a couple of years later than when he had made the, the, the image. Yes, yes. And, um, and so I got an email from his assistant saying like, Rise, you know, he's, he's a pretty big photographer and <laughs> this is not really, we're not just giving away pictures. And I said, no, but this is my, this is the situation. This is a story. Wait, I'm going to send you some music. So then I sent the un unfinished album but pretty much finished album mm-hmm. and the next day he, he he gave me a call and he said well you can use that picture but I we're gonna make we're gonna make something together and cool. uh, and he came up with the um he came up with with the head and um i don't know it's like and the, the whitish yeah it's the, the what, 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 what uh, not a statue but um just a stone hat basically yeah. I, I know there's a word for it in english i don't know it but yeah the interesting point there is that he tuned into to the work 
without us having really deep conversations about it. And he came up with this concept, and I see, I, I see his artwork, and instantly I have a title for for the album. Solipsism. Yeah. And Why, how how did that work? Well, I, I was looking at at, uh, at the head, my head, and it's it's white and it's uh, it's got the eyes closed, and um, so basically what you see is um, you know the world that goes on in in my head, and mm -hmm. and I I was starting to reflect on this period and on my life, and I was like, okay, basically I've I've been looking for my relationship to reality for as long as I can remember, and. And having my eyes closed, and kind of, it kind of portrays me blocking out ah. the outside or other perspective, and it's kind of portraying my own solipsistic, uh, withdrawn idea of reality. I have to explain maybe for the listener if they don't know what it means. It means reality only exists in your own mind, and everything outside of your own mind, uh, you can really. You cannot really be certain of hands doesn't really exist, and so I th I thought the term solipsism was really fitting, um, and it's not something I believe in, um, but it kind of portrays uh, the time we're in, and and also my ambition to prove the opposite to be the truth that we all have a, sh a shared. Um, understanding of what it is to be human and that we're all part of something bigger. Um, basically, we're all part of one thing. You, you created these three albums uh, quite quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about that before the interview that maybe I said, like, maybe you should have stretched it a little bit more because now I guess everyone is uh, expecting that within two years you create a fourth album. But yeah. was was that... Um, Actually, there are four There was there was one in between. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, like, that's like, true. But that's not part of the trilogy. No, okay, a fifth yeah. album, I should yeah. say. Um, do you think it was such an accumulation of, let's say, inspiration, or always having thought about music that so much came out? Definitely, and I think it has to do with the fear of going out of a state of flow or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But when, once you feel you are on the path um, in which you experience very little resistance and you, you feel you have this connection to this place called inspiration, um, you want to make use of it. And it's kind of like, I'm, and, and I knew I, my story wasn't finished yet. So I, I felt, I felt a rush to, to get there. Um, and, um, and I, and I don't regret it because it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's making use of, of the moment and of the opportunities, um, created and given to me, um, in that time frame. And it's still, you know, still five years. <laughs> it's still five years, but let's go, um, Let's go back to the first album again because you um, you put I guess that's quite interesting. You put it in a Spotify um, mm -hmm. because uh, I guess at that point you still didn't think you had like a an album that would sell all of the world. So I guess as a just to try it out, you put it on Spotify. Is that yeah. right? And and then it exploded on Spotify. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
if you may, the, the vision I had was like, it was a vinyl and it was more like really, um, like a Polaroid, like, a uh, um, something tangible mm -hmm. to holding your hands yeah. as a snapshot of this, of, of my, my age, my time, time, the, the time when it happened. And of course, uh, coming from uh, a music company, I knew that it was possible to put my music uh, on Spotify and that it wasn't too complicated to do that. So, yeah, I I did want to give it a chance. Yeah. And um, and I, I got lucky. And it, it launched your career, basically. Yeah. But that that's and, and that and that's also not not news, but there, I, I was very fortunate of Spotify Netherlands sharing their local releases with Spotify International that they thought, and every, I think every Spotify office did that back then, uh, that they thought this can travel beyond our region. And it got listened to by someone in New York who was, um, curating a very popular playlist, um, Peaceful Piano. And, <laughs> and one track got in there and did really well, and then another track went in, and then it, it really exploded. So your genre is Peaceful Piano? <laughs> If you want to call it that. Um, How would you describe it? Um, Because I, I read in some interviews that there's a bit of a discussion uh, there is, there between is. you and maybe the, the professional world of music. Like, what kind of genre is this? Oops, sorry. Uh, not between me. Uh, I, don't have, I don't really have a discussion. I, I think, um, you know, it really depends on where you come from. So, um, it, and, and what your listening experience is. I mean, for some people, this is chill out music. Hmm. And for some people, this is contemporary classical music. And for some people, this is new age music. And for some people, it's... Um, okay. So it's, you don't really care? I don't really care, no. I think, I mean, I when I'm forced to give the answer, I say it's more like pop than like classical. Because mm -hmm. it, it's kind of borrowing from classical vocabulary, putting it into more of a electronic or pop Uh, structure and production i guess especially the later albums because the first one was very yeah uh, among the three was the most classical i guess or wouldn't you say so well yeah i don't know <laughs> it's it's yeah it's well, difficult okay. dif difficult to say so whatever the genre uh, it did well on spotify you uh, were put in some playlist that in, in the united states so mm -hmm. i guess that boosted the, the streams mm -hmm. um was there a specific moment when you thought this is happening or this is taking off or what i mean is also that you thought like i can do this for a living yeah there, there was a moment like maybe a year after i put it on Spotify mm -hmm. that it started to dawn on me that, um, I could, um, stop working if I wanted to, <laughs> um, which was crazy. <laughs> um, and then I, I continued working for a while, but I started to work a bit less and, uh, up to the point that it wasn't, it wasn't possible to combine both 
worlds anymore. Okay, and and at some point, what I found really interesting is at some point point you you signed with Deutsche Grammophon, which is a renowned uh, classical music uh, label. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe real short, uh, interesting to to share how that happened because when I when I heard about that, I was like, wow, what are the odds? Yeah. <laughs> it was in Berlin, right? Yeah, someone was, was playing your album. Yeah. Um, uh, a friend of mine that I knew from that was a film producer in Berlin. She, she had come to um, a concert in Amsterdam. She mm-hmm. bought a vinyl and she left that vinyl um, at a bar. And um, one night that vinyl is put on the record player by the bartender. And uh, at the bar sits uh, Christian, who is a, uh, A&R manager at Deutsche Grammophon. And he mm-hmm. was like, what is this? <laughs> so he inquired and um, that led back to my friend who said, Deutsche Grammophon is interested in talking to you. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> That's impossible. Um, but it wasn't impossible. And um, so I I did, a, I did a concert in Berlin. And um, before the show, we met up and started talking um and that yeah that i mean it's mostly a personal click and um there were a couple of other labels interested um but the way christian approached it and his musical taste and um just the personal click was really really good and and then again on a business level or giving it the biggest chance I could give it was the idea that because of most of the listeners were in the in, in the United States, I knew that because I could see the the, the, stream. the streams on the back mm-hmm. end of, of um, um, the streaming platforms. I wanted to have uh, some form of presence in in the states and being able to also go there for concerts and um, and and Deutsche Grammophon was was a um, a good partner for that. Yeah. What I found interesting is that thanks to Spotify, which is, you could say, a platform that goes around the, the gatekeeper. Yeah. Um, and the labels traditionally are the gatekeepers. They decide whether you become big or not. Um, yeah. So you, you, you found your fame on, on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And then s- still at some point you you wanted to sign a label. Mm-hmm. How, do, how does that work? Is that because they offer you more exposure or what was the reason for that? Uh, the, the main reason very simply is that um, I quit my job and I had, um, I was very dependent on one particular playlist in one particular platform. Yeah. Um, so, there that's just yeah it's not 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 a really smart tactic to just bet on that one horse and yeah. uh and so, you don't i guess they don't pay too well or do they well if, do, or if, do they pay well when you have what is it 40 millions of streams on one song yeah that that's that's quite that's it does add a up. little bit significant <laughs> yeah yeah, it's enough to live from. Uh, uh, okay, uh, so you didn't financially, you didn't need. I didn't need to sign with them. Okay, no, 
Um, but I thought like if, you know, if I, my, my goal was to, at that point when the dream was there to stay in music and mm -hmm. do this for the rest of my life and, and have like a opportunity to, to keep growing and keep learning. And so I, I, I had to take some steps to, um, to make it more to, even more professional to, yeah and to and, and to make it possible to uh, hopefully um, and so that. is it mainly um, performances they deliver uh, or because I guess physical albums no, albums no they it's the, not the, a the, big what, market what, anymore what they deliver is uh, they're uh, on a musical level they're a creative partner mm -hmm. uh, on a um physical level they're a distribution partner um but more so they have a presence in uh all the territories where where we want to go and perform so mm -hmm. there's a there's a network there's people on the ground um helping out at least that's the way it should be it's not 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 always the case but in many uh, in many situations it is and uh, I, I I was very fortunate to be um, uh, seen as a serious um, artist for them so we got a lot of support in Japan in Australia um, Germany of course are you more highly regarded now because you signed Deutsche Grammophon does it also work like that because as you said uh, in the beginning the music For some, especially, maybe it's kind of simple. This well, this is a bigger topic, but there, there's always um, uh, opinions and discussions, and uh, it doesn't hurt for me to be um, treated and seen as a serious artist by a, a very serious label. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, that also creates uh, a lot of uh, criticism because that label represents 120 years of the best recordings yeah, in, the Mozart's in the classical music. Yeah. And I'm not really a classical artist. So there is a tension there. And for some people, it's very logical. And for some people, it's they, they grow into it or they, they appreciate it. They appreciate the diversity. They appreciate that next to what they know now there's other stuff. But a lot of people are very protectionist and 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 look down on what they call neoclassical or neoclassical or yeah. contemporary classical, yeah. and that's because there's a there's a thin line between elevator music and um, stripped down minimalism in classical music. Yeah, I also read in an interview that which I find kind of funny is that you, you said you're not a born entertainer and, but now you're performing, uh, you've performed at Lowlands, you, which is for, for the Dutch is quite a well-known festival. And I, I think the third time already in the Sydney opera house and you, you perform in Japan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how, do, how is that for you? Is that difficult or do you... No, it's easier to do it there than here for some reason. <laughs> yeah, because when you were at Lowlands, you were really nervous. Yeah, but that, 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 that's Lowlands. It was a big stage and 
we didn't have time for sound check and we didn't really have time ah, okay. f- to test out the light show, uh, the visuals. It was, uh, and we brought in a choir and everything. It was, it was quite a, okay. in a way, I mean, I was there with, uh, we were with 13 musicians on stage. So then okay. it's easier to feel like the comfort of the group ah, okay, instead yeah. of, I mean, this year I would have played in a, uh, tent for 20,000 people solo at um, uh, Rock Werchter, which was cancelled. Was cancelled, and yeah, I mean, it's a shame, but I'm, I'm also a little bit happy that <laughs> I, yeah. don't, I don't have yeah. to yeah. do that because that's it. But it's, that, it's super you don't scary. get used to it. Yeah, the the, the only time um, it gets less is when you do a lot of shows in a short time. So okay. So if the 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 memory of the previous show is is very vivid and fresh, then you take that with you. Um, you feel the, more confident. You then. feel more comf- comfortable and confident because you know you did it yesterday and it worked. And uh, and then and then you know exactly what went right and what could have been better. So you look forward to this one to make it even better. Whereas if you haven't done a show for a long time. You know, it's like starting over again. It's like training for sports, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. You said uh, you were not a born entertainer. And um, what I found funny is that already before COVID-19, before the corona crisis, I read that you were um, thinking about doing concerts without an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were, I guess, <laughs> ahead of your time. You were already mm-hmm. preparing for... For Corona, um, was that because y- you don't necessarily need the audience? No, no. That I, I, I love playing for an audience. Mm-hmm. If it's, uh, um, you know, if if I feel good and if it's not too big a room, <laughs> yeah, um, then it's 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 just great. It's uh, you can feel the energy in the room, and and it it, it definitely has a, an impact on how you play and how you perform. Yeah, so that can be very good or very bad. Like if if you get pushed into the nerve side, nervousness side, then you know it's really bad. But if if the magic yeah. gets turned on, then it's more magical than yeah being alone Mm -hmm. Uh, but this was um basically because of flying and um um trying to find ways of um uh bringing a live experience to different audiences bigger audiences uh, maybe even on-demand audiences um and not having to um to fly um all the time, and it, it, it mostly because of the environment, I would say. Ah, uh, okay. And and just this, in a way, uh, thinking about that, we have to find these forms. Uh, I, I was I was just questioning, always questioning, like, is this? Does me and Mark and or if we play with a bigger group, uh, but we haven't flown the bigger? Yeah, we did. We flew in the states and in. Um, uh, not just in the States, but us musicians flying from one side of the country or one side of the globe to another, does that, you know, balance out with what we bring to the audience? Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you, 
Yeah, we 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 just started to question that, and with that came the idea of can we not try and, and create uh, a live experience without having to physically be present? And um, and you already did. You already performed with no audience. Yeah, uh, with a live stream, right? Yeah, during the COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um, but you were all you had it already lined up in a way, or not? No, not really. I, the, the, the plans were there. We, we've had um, talks with, um, um, but this is this is uh, I cannot say this on uh, on tape. But there's a new technology that we um, um, that we've been having conversations with. In, ah, okay. Um, so that's going to be something else later on. Yeah, maybe hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When Solipsum came out, you wrote to uh, David a Day, The Wild Red Door, which is a Dutch show, uh, which is watched uh, by a lot of people. And you wrote them and said, like, hey, I have this new album. Maybe mm -hmm. you want to give it some attention mm -hmm. in the show. And, and then you performed there, I guess. Mm -hmm. Does it help in your career that you worked for Massive Music in, in realizing that you need to sort of reach out to people with what you've created? No, I think uh, there's two sides to this because I think everybody will know that. Everybody will easily and directly understand that if they want to reach an audience, that you have to present yourself at certain outlets. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people really don't see that and they just don't they don't get it, basically. And uh <laughs> Uh, which is great because uh, the romantic story would be you make something and it's just a work, does all the the amplification. But I knew that um, you know I I needed to I needed to make it grow, and uh, so I reached out to them. But I, I did that in a very you know but it, not it not, must, not it even must feel counterintuitive to you very much. But that's what I wanted to say because I I didn't do that in a. I think I didn't do that in a very, very strategic way. It was more like I felt mm -hmm. like I had to. It wasn't about me. It was about the music. Yeah, and I, I felt that it was in an innocent way. Yeah, because I, yeah, I, I wrote to uh, I, I went looking for email addresses for all the journalists that I could find, and I was yeah. like, I have to give this a chance. Okay. And um, like knowing what I know now, I, I that's not a smart thing to do at yeah. all. Um, but luckily, luckily, somewhere there was someone who went like, "Hmm, this might be interesting," and yeah. and they talked about it, and and then uh, there was a moment where I had the and that's the smart part, but that that was only with uh, I think the the Vildradour that Spotify picked it up. Uh, that wow. I went like, "Hey, but this is interesting, right? This is this is a story." And recognizing that that would be something to uh, present to them as, you know, you that's an, the real story. I had an angle. Yeah. And that and I that's what I wrote to them and, and then uh, they said, Well yeah. That's okay. a smart part, yeah. yeah. Indeed. Uh Hey, and you mentioned, uh, I guess you have someone doing that for you now, these kinds of emails. Uh, that's Mark Brauner. You mentioned him mm -hmm. when saying that you flew to the United States uh, with Mark. Mm -hmm. 
how do how do you collaborate? Is he like the commercial guy, and uh, you the mu- is it that simple? You make the music, he sort of reaches out to people. Yeah, I think so. Or or yeah, reaches out to people and 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 deals with the people that reach out to us. And uh, it's kind of a in a way he's he's a filter, mm-hmm. um, but he's also uh, he's also a planner. He's also looking ahead. He's uh, looking at uh, at the real business. Like okay, um, like this week, he's like, uh, um, dude, uh, we've been going for five years now. You don't have t-shirts. You don't have tote bags. Uh, what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. It's nice. But and then he he's like, okay. Is it like you have to pull him back and he sort of pulls you forward? <laughs> Commercially, maybe? Yeah, no, I think we, we make a fantastic team because he's, uh, he, he, yeah, he's a go-getter, but he's, he's a super lovely guy too. Uh, so he's not like the... And he, he used to be a lawyer, but he's not like this tough lawyer mm-hmm. guy uh, uh, at all. But he, he has an understanding of... of you know how it works and what is important if you do deals and make contracts um, but he also knows how to you know build a business or build a, a brand if you want to call it that yeah. way uh-huh. um, so, so in, in that in that sense we, we both have a little bit of that background in us which mm-hmm. which, which really helps also to know what we want and what we don't want. Yeah. And that, and I think that's, that's really important. Like it helps you, you to say no to exactly. To things. And that's what we've done from the beginning on. We've said a lot of no, and we've said a lot of like, we don't need this. It's not important. It's about the music. And we have, we don't have, we're not in a hurry. Um, and, uh, that's, yeah, but that's because of what we learned, but also because of our age, I think mm-hmm. you, you, you know when people tell you stuff, you're like, yeah, right, that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> so. so you have an extra bullshit radar now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're almost done. Um, I wanted to go back to the last time we spoke face-to-face, which mm-hmm. was 2016. And I mm-hmm. remember we were sitting on the roof of Adam uh, Toro, where Massive mm-hmm. Music was yep. is now, and, and you were still working at I think. Yeah. Just, yep. just before you sort of... And I remember you, you, you told me, like, what I would love to do is just buy or, or rent a cabin in somewhere in the woods in mm-hmm. Scandinavia. I don't know which country you said. Like, yeah, it was definitely Scandinavia back then. Yeah. 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 You said, like, I just want to sort of, you could see yourself in this big wooden house and just sitting behind the piano and yeah. playing. And um, That didn't happen. I guess it went quite well anyway. But w- what would be your goal now because you created i guess uh, this trilogy in no mm-hmm. time you're now working on a fifth album mm-hmm. um y- you might get a little bit spoiled about what you can accomplish well you get no it's not spoiled it, it's like you going back to what we discussed earlier in the interview i i i feel like i need to earn the inspiration and so most of it, most of the energy goes into trying to 
and do the right things and create the right circumstances to keep earning it. And at the moment, you know, I've it's 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 a dialogue I have a lot with myself. Like, what am I doing enough um, for good music to come out? And um, so that's my current state of mind, which means that I'm not really thinking about, oh, I belong in a cabin in the woods or I, <laughs> uh, I'm working towards so-and-so-and-so. I think it's, um, it, 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 in a way, I mean, these are such weird times and, and I have to re reshuffle the deck. I have to check in uh, a new and and hopefully and that's that's my goal i will be given another another big idea yeah. which which will which will give me energy um once i have that i know i I'm, i get in the state of being very thankful for everything and and basically loving everyone and it's kind of like a blissful state and mm-hmm. um that's that's my goal to to be able to get in those stages of blissfulness and just having the, uh, having the inspiration feels like being young, having the inspiration feels like time doesn't exist. If it, and, and you don't care about stuff. You don't care about, you only care about the real important things I, I would say. And so, but to get the inspiration, you need to work and you need to, make the right decisions and um, and you need to read and you need to invest in, in, in it's also hard work it's hard finding, work finding it, the inspiration I think it's it I think it's it's hard work and um, and yeah I mean the last time it happened I I had to go uh, to the bottom of the well uh, to, to, to find it mm-hmm. and uh, I allowed myself now to be be in this vacuum after the trilogy and and to kind of think about this mm-hmm. and um, and and see where that will take me, and it's it's yeah, it's a, it's a test. It feels it really feels like a test, and I uh, and there's days I feel like I'm I'm not a good player. I'm not, I'm losing this yeah. one, mm-hmm. and other days I'm like, okay, we're gonna get this, and so it's not. That sounds very normal for a creative process. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's the case, and I, you have to be very wary that you don't take stuff for granted. And if yeah. you if you start making stuff and people like it because you made it, uh, and nobody tells you it sucks, and you you lost that connection with that special place, then you know it's over. Yeah. Or <laughs> hopefully not forever, but. Uh, I'm not saying that's the case right now. <laughs> But it, All right. Well, yeah. um, I'll be waiting for the fifth album then. And uh, hope so, you'll... So am I. Hope you'll uh, uh, cherish the sort of vacuum you're in now. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, well, I, uh, I hope you're not going to be... Uh, all over the world all the time so that I see you in Amsterdam <laughs> every now and then. But uh, I guess yeah. since you're also not trying to fly too much that might might happen yeah i don't know what it will uh, what it will bring in um i mean we we're having meetings next week for serious um concerts streamed but then for a lot of people for different continents and um cool. and also with a um, 
paid model behind it. So it's it kind of starts to look like an alternative is here quicker than we thought. That said, you can never beat the life being together in a room and, and uh, getting to play in front yeah, of an audience yeah. and that will always happen yeah. but I, I'll, uh, I'll see you definitely next year in Amsterdam Sobos yeah. because that concert was cancelled unfortunately and I, uh, I had tickets now. for it um, so I'll see you then and thanks very much uh, for the interview you're very welcome thank you for your interest thank you for listening to Creative Achievers and thanks Diederik van Middelkoop for the music if these interviews taste like more You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Please note, however, that I also do these interviews in Dutch. You can find more information about the interviews on creative-achievers.com. Until next time. Bye.